you're my happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a rule I learned in school, those in darkness from the ones who This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw, and we have come to a moment, a moment of hope. The year 2020 has just come to us, 2020. I am hoping it will bring forth a new generation, compassionate, not cruel, All the things we hope for when we reach for social justice, uh, people with whole hearts. I, I think, of course, most of us have mixed feelings, fear, a great deal of fear, but also a great deal of love. Love is all there's time for, but for myself, I quote, always quote, Joseph Campbell. He writes, Joyful participation in the sorrows of the world. Got to think about that one. Joyful participation in the sorrows of the world. I have survived 86 years here on the West Coast. Uh, I have uh, no right to complain or to run on about <laughs> about the age the age we live in uh, Times Square it's coming back to me a vision, a vision a vision of a traditional New Year's Eve everybody said the place to be was Times Square New Year's Eve I got there in 1957 I had just seen Julie Andrews in My Fair Lady. Rex Harrison was an old hand on Broadway. Adorable Rex Harrison. So cool. But Julie Andrews was 21. 21 years old. 1957. Two years younger than I was. She looked scared stiff, but oh, that voice. Oh, gosh. Uh, We got standing room. Uh, I had just gotten married, and (laughs) my uh, husband thought it would be fun to go see uh, my fair lady. Uh, Yes, we got married on Christmas Eve. I figured that if I was married on Christmas Eve, my husband would never forget the date, you know. I'm the one that has to remember, remember now, after, oh, gosh, not half a, oh, look, never mind, never mind, never mind the numbers. Uh, This business of 
2020 is curious. I like the numbers. Uh, I, I'm going to change my style. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a drink. I'm going to have a drink this year. And <laughs> I think it's been more than two decades since I poured myself a whiskey sour. Oh, at least I think a glass of wine is in order now. I think so, yes. I think it's time to enjoy, enjoy what's going down. Yes, joyful participation in the sorrows of the world. I know that I can't fix it, but I can try, I can try to live it, to enjoy it. New Year's Eve, yes. Now, of course, I do, I do consider whether I should uh, give up the grape. I'm constantly considering it, but, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I consider and I reconsider, and now I've decided, yes. My excuse is my conviction that drinking goes with scribbling. Writers, right. It's an old trick. Elizabeth Barrett was a junkie, that kind of thing. I think, what were they drinking? All the literati. All poets are luscious, but not all luscious are poets. We've had a few sober poets. At any number of sober writers, although not, not in Ireland, with the notable exception of George Bernard Shaw, who was perhaps pure spirit and so didn't need any. <laughs> All the Irish writers were, if not drunkards, they were at least drinkers. George Bernard Shaw didn't indulge in anything. He's a wonderful vegetarian type. Anyway, uh, in the evening, in New Year's Eve evening, after a cup of wine, I'm beginning to think in simple similes, thinking of the writer as a drink. <laughs> Henry Miller as a dark beer with a chaser. <laughs> Thomas Mann as after-dinner brandy on an empty stomach. Thomas Hardy as a morning after hair of the dog. Anais Nin as a strong, sweet, distilled liqueur, that sort of thing. Then I had another cup of wine, and I began to see them drinking. And sometimes why? Jane Austen sipping lemon tea with minted leaves, and sometimes looking out the window into the trees. Colette swallowing sweet breakfast chocolate. Absinthe stains on the bedside table, an aperitif in the afternoon on the sly in a cafe he never frequents. Virginia Woolf, out for a treat, but only only once a week in a long walk first, and then scones to go with. George Sand smoked the little cigars first. Then she drank a few sips of whatever he was pouring, later watering it down so she could write while he slept. <laughs> Sigrid Unset drank the mead of medieval myth like the Nordic 
maiden she was, Catholic to the core, the wafer and the wine. <laughs> My old friend Jake says she's a bore, so I told him to go take a flying leap in the fjord. After all, didn't she win the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1928? And Jake said, oh, oh, I know. The only time I tried to read her stuff, I thought, well, hell, I thought she was an historian. <laughs> he always identified uh, uh, Sigrid Unset as someone who was out of date. Yes, <laughs> I, I sure hope so. I sure hope. She's out of date. Uh, the Master of Hestviken is my present uh, reading material. Uh, Kirsten Lavern's daughter, I think I'll put away uh, for a decade or two. But the other writers, let's see, the women. George Eliot, dear George Eliot. <laughs> Marion, yes. She couldn't get married. It's so weird. Her lover, her companion, was already married, so she had all this trouble. Uh, she took tea with the usual toast, but no, no liquor left when the party's over. He drank, of course, but finally only when she did, and it was love without marriage, no fooling. So now I'm going to have another cup, another cup of wine, and I'm getting a little lurid, 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 uh there's a 19th century storm raging in my mind. I open windows and I look out over the moors. And there they are, the Victorian ghosts. Those Christian souls, those fierce Protestants. Mm, Victorians writing journals. Seeking perfection, muttering mea culpa, mea culpa. I felt an acute attack of Brontephobia coming on. Now, the name Bronte means thunder, and Brontephobia is the fear of thunder and lightning. But, of course, it is them I'm afraid of, Heathcliff and all the rest. Once in my dreams, in my dreams, when was it long ago? In my dreams, I saw Emily Bronte. She came, she came close to me and she uh, took a tomato, a large tomato. Uh, it was sliced. She took the center slice and she threw it at me. Then it dropped over my head, and all the seeds turned to gemstones, and the wet red swam around me in a great cloak. The laughter of Pan poured from Emily's throat. Still dreaming, I, I ran until I fell into the lurid mist of that third watercolor Jane Eyre showed to Mr. Rochester, I was drowning in the sea of that picture, reaching for the gold bracelet around the neck of that black cormorant. Ah, 
Uh, I woke up drenched in sea salt sweat. Oh, oh, too many, too many, too many books and too, too many dreams. Oh, for my sake, Charlotte, could you, at least in my dreams, just take a real drink like a simple Irishman, put away these spirits of <laughs> ammonia and treacle sin syrup laced with hot chocolate desire. I don't think she was really repressed, but, uh, you know, Thackeray said so. He made all those mean remarks about uh, smoke in the next room, he remembered the bit in uh, in Jane Eyre in in which Mr. Rochester's cigar smoke has an erotic effect on Jane Eyre, right? That's, of course, something that Thackeray would pick up. Uh, <laughs> yes, hot chocolate desire. Emily. Emily was, I guess, the monumental one. Virginia Woolf says so. She died. At the age of 29, 29, uh, 1848, I'm seeing here in my notes, says she died in 1848. She wasn't even 30 yet, I think. She drank hemlock straight. The next year, the youngest sister, Anne Bronte, died. She, too, was... Twenty-nine, she asked to be taken to Scarborough. Scarborough, yes, she'd never seen the sea. She buried her there instead of at Haworth Parsonage. I think that that is good, yes. I think that Anne does not walk night after night the way the others do. Charlotte lived to be 39. She died of tuberculosis and pregnancy. <laughs> her good husband asked her to go for a walk. Uh, huh? And uh, she got a cold and pneumonia. What with that and the pregnancy, she died before 40. I think it was all in the cards. I remember that her father, Patrick Bronte, Refused to go to the wedding. I guess, <laughs> I, I guess he knew. Knew what was coming, yes. I think that I need to get up and walk to the store. I don't care if it's raining. I'm going to go and buy another bottle of Burgundy <laughs> to get out my list. Writers. Ernest Hemingway. Bourbon on the rocks, I guess. What do I know? Whatever, whatever he was drinking. Wasn't that that killed him? F. Scott Fitzgerald. The drink that fires the dream, but burns the body alive. Hmm. My mother died the same age in her 40s, yes. Burned themselves out, yes. Zelda and Scott. So, so... Sad to think that they, you know, they felt they absolutely had to go out in a blaze, blaze of, I wouldn't call it glory, uh, 
Dylan. Dylan Thomas. Dylan Thomas. He's another one. Romantics. Romantics. He had beer for breakfast and uh, any and everything else all day. He never took coffee or tea. <laughs> bitters, bright bitters all day, but real booze when the work was done. Anna Yisnin, yes. Thimbles, little thimbles of disparate distilled liqueurs each day. A drop in her diary. Wine at formal places. In gardens of prose. Prose poems, prose poems. Ah, oh, blood. If or when needed. Blood for lovers who couldn't, never would, or shouldn't drink. <laughs> Gertrude Stein preferred food to drink, serving alphabet vegetable soup for an entree, beef tenderloin for those who eat words, cakes and plum brandy for those who stay till the end. Melantha was one of three, each one as she may, and Alice. Sylvia Plath. Oh, thistles, and yes, she drank them. Isaac Dennison. Time and the history of the heart of ancient woman. She could smell the sea of Africa before the land rose. Tony Morrison. Yes, Tony Morrison left us this year, 2019, is when Tony Morrison left the world. Pack up all your cares and woes, bye-bye, blackbird. There was a time, she says, when Africans could fly. This was a time before salt. There are words for women, she says, and there are ways to show, to know, to know a whore is a lover. A servant is a laborer, and a mammy is a mother. Laughter and jungle red wine. Black women, she says, seem less alone. Look at literature. Anna Karenina has no woman friend to trust. Madame Bovary had no auntie to straighten her out. All the way to that Irish trash, Scarlett O'Hara, white women in books just seem to be going about the business of the acquisition of a male or males, and of course, they're damned if they get them and damned if they don't. Tony writes now, as it comes out of then. Black Woman wisdom doesn't divide. 
Joseph Conrad drank the salt from the sea, never set foot on land again, Mr. Kurtz, he dead. D.H. Lawrence, wine and wine and wine and wine and more of that, but well drunk for a dying man. T.S. Eliot, <laughs> laced with the blood of the lamb, dandelion wine, dearie. Blood of the Lamb. It's time to pour again. I hope someone's counting my drinks. Uh, Elizabeth Barrett, yes, drank her tea laced with laudanum, the wine of opium, the wine of love, and leisure, leisure, with an Englishman of letters. And they're off to Italy, Italy, for Baroque. She went to visit George Sand, Elizabeth taking note that although she did not observe Madame Sand to smoke, uh, it was, however, deeply to be regretted that Madame Sand surrounded herself with so many persons of the, quote, ragged red or lower theatrical types. <laughs> George Sand was in the habit of smoking little cigars, but obviously she deferred to Elizabeth Barrett. Mary Shelley, right? Mary Shelley. Uh, she could have used a drink. Nothing could mask the odor of death in her life. The child stillborn, all those she loved, either dead or monsters, or both. Mary Shelley trying to bring bring life back, rebirthing monsters. Oh, Dorothy Parker, Dorothy Parker, Dorothy Parker. She drank gin from a flask in the ladies' room, and she drank mixed mixed drinks in public and at cocktail parties and uh, all that with her heart tucked inside her handbag sealed in a plastic wrap. Edna St. Vincent Millay. She drank wine from his grapes when he was around but she carried her own flask, <laughs> and she traveled. Right. Wine from these grapes I shall be treading morning, noon, and night. Stained with these grapes, I shall lie down to die. Ah, Edna. Edna Millay. They called her Vincent. She was my mother's favorite poet. Along, of course, with Dorothy Parker. They seemed to be kind of a pair. Dorothy was the smart aleck, and Edna was the, uh, the tragic, the altogether, altogether uh, dying for love poet. Uh, 
Elizabeth, Emily, yes, Emily Elizabeth Dickinson drove herself from drink. Emily Elizabeth Dickinson drove herself from drink, insisting thought could think. Until at last, she fell in love with death, the sweetest drunkard we can know. So one last time, I reach for the wine. Another year is dumb, done, done, and temperance has not touched me. Come, fill the cup, the bird of time has but a little way to fly, and lo, the bird is on the wing, the rubiot, right, the rubiot. Come fill the cup, the bird of time has but a little way to fly. And lo, the bird is on the wing. One long lost song, Sappho, Sappho drank the Aegean Sea. One long lost song. John Donne, quite undone by his dear dead wife, Anne Donne, swallowed his pride and published. <laughs> yes. Footnote. John Donne. <laughs> he married Anne Moore in 1601. She was 17. She died at the age of 33. She had borne her husband, John Donne, 12 children, of whom seven survived her. <laughs> Samuel Beckett. Ah, ah, the mother of us all. Samuel Beckett. I suppose... I should mention the old man last. Romeo and Juliet, Act 5, Scene 3. <laughs> Juliet discovers that Romeo has come, come to the tomb and he found her. And then he killed himself. And Juliet says... Old churl, drunk all, and left no friendly drop to help me after I will kiss thy lips. Haply some poison yet doth hang on them to make me die. This is Ben Jennifer Stone. Till next time, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Picture, 
speaking for KPFA's author events, this is Bob Baldock thanking each of you who attended any of our gatherings with writers in 2019 and hoping you'll show up for our events in 2020. Your presence means so much to these writers and to the KPFA we all care about. In 2020, we'll offer another striking range, starting with Blair Imani, a magnificent queer Muslim woman historian who will be with Davy D. Then David Talbot talking, we hope, with his son Joe, who made the film The Last Black Man in San Francisco. Ian Haney Lopez will be here with Saru Jairaman. E.J. Dunn brings Code Red. Gretchen Soren will discuss her driving while black. Also coming are Terry McMillan and Russell Jacoby. The beat goes on, writers explaining our world, or trying their best in this eerie, eerie era. So again, friends... Good wishes galore to you. In the Name of Love, the 18th annual musical tribute honoring Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. will be held Sunday, January 19th, 7 p.m. at the Oakland Scottish Rite Center, 1547 Lakeside Drive. Entitled Change is Gonna Come, this year's tribute features outstanding vocalists Tony Lindsay, Cliff Payne, Tiffany Austin, Tammy Brown, and Raz Kennedy, along with the Oakland Interfaith Gospel Choir and the 300 Voice Living Jazz Children's Project. For tickets, visit livingjazz.org or call 510-858-5313. All proceeds benefit the Living Jazz Children's Project, a free music education program for Title I Oakland Public Elementary Schools. This event is wheelchair accessible. That's livingjazz.org. 